They're really dangerous. Everybody's got them, and everybody can see yours except for you. I'm talking about blind spots. All right, ladies and gentlemen, I'm here with Tim Joyner. It's Jadu and Tim for the Grow with Tim podcast. And you hit us with a, something that was kind of intriguing there. Everybody's got them. You can't see them. I'm thinking like skeletons in the closet <laughs> or whatever. But I guess blind spots might even fit that bill. There are things about yourself, if I could define it. There are things about yourself that are limiting your performance, your interaction, or your ability to... Yeah, grow, make yeah, money in the world, it. whatever those it. things are. Yeah, yeah. Th- things that are limiting you in maybe lots of ways, but they're they're unknown to you, but obvious to everybody else. That's the in my definition anyway of a blind spot. So I guess before we get into it, because I think you've got a couple stories you want to help um, us understand that when you realize these things were in your life. They and you remove them, you kind of acknowledge them, right? Step one, stop getting into the denial game and acknowledge them and maybe um, let your ego fall a little bit so you can, you know, work through these things. You realize you were able to level up and grow a whole lot more. But my question is, is how important do you think that was? I the first the, the big thing is here is I've never heard people really have a conversation around this. Yeah, this is kind of the first time. Yeah, so I, I think it's kind of, in, I'm new in, to this. In preparation for this, I like Googled it. I I thought surely somebody's given a TED talk on this. Right, right. I couldn't find much, but it has been personally really powerful for me to systematically identify. And I'm sure I've got lots more. Sure, <laughs> some of our more uh, critical audience members maybe will <laughs> enlighten me after right. this. But but. It has been super valuable to me to identify and fix blind spots, and I'm kind of surprised more people aren't talking about it. So let, let's be a trendsetter. Okay, today. very Start good. Start the conversation. All right, so I heard you saying that, number one, what we're here, there, there's bias in the world, there's unconscious bias, and I yeah. think those topics are being talked about quite a bit. Right. But we are actually talking about things that are fixable yeah. by you, first yeah. off. So you kind of it. get into that, first off, because I think there's a lot of things about the way we look or feel or are presenting in the world that maybe are not the things we're talking about today, things you cannot change. Right, absolutely. Okay. And, and first, let me be the first to say, this is this is not so much a principled conversation as it is a pragmatic one. Okay. In other words, I'm not saying that the world should work this way. I'm saying that it does. And if I can do something about it, if, if it is fixable, then I should do that because it, the world's going to work better for me. Now, we can talk in, in a different context about changing the way the world works, and we should. I'm just saying the easiest path to success for me is to fix the things I can fix. So let, let's fix them, right? Okay, very good. So here I'm going to give you a quote or a thought, and I want you to respond to it with how the blind spot kind okay. of world has enlightened you about things that you realized could be changed in your uh, yourself or other people. Yeah. So one is, this one is cliche. A lot of people have heard this one, but it's you don't get a second chance to make a first impression. Yeah. What do you say to that? Yeah, you don't get a second chance to make a first impression. I, I think that first impressions, everybody knows in their head that first impressions matter, but very few people do anything with that information, right? They don't They don't really address it. They're like, yeah, yeah, I know that. But then they keep making the same bad first impressions. Or maybe they're not bad first impressions, but they're not all they could be, right? Mm-hmm. So I, I got lots of stories I could yeah. tell you about this. But one that comes to mind is I, I once heard a talk about blind spots. And 
afterward I went up and talked to the speaker and I said, you know, you've known me a long time. Like, what's my blind spot? Okay. And she didn't miss a beat. She said, oh, it's your truck. I said, well, what do you mean it's my truck? Like, I love my truck. It's it's paid for. It's very practical. It's fun. You know. So first off, hold on. Did the ego get in the way right there? Like, how did you feel when she said that out of the gate? And yeah. you said didn't miss a beat. So she was ready. Yeah, right. Yeah. Oh, yeah. She, <laughs> okay. she, she was ready. Um, yeah, I think it probably stung a little bit. Mm. Like, I hadn't – I was perfectly content with my truck. Um I don't know that I would say I was proud of it. It wasn't anything. It was a 15-year-old Dodge Dakota. Okay. Don't be a little truck. What color was it? It was blue. All right. It, all right. It was, uh, it was clean. I paid $2,000 okay. for this truck. All right. It was, so, but, but then she went on to explain. She says, look, you're trying to sell fifty and $100,000 engagements, and you pull in between a Mercedes and a BMW, and people look at you sideways. They're like, it just plants an unnecessary doubt. It's like, huh. Is he not very successful? Mm. Like, can I trust him with my money? Like, why? It, it's just a distraction. So it's not that I have to, like, you know, come in with a Jaguar or whatever. Sure. But it, okay. it was just – it was planning an unnecessary distraction. It put questions in people's minds. And so I got thinking about that and I'm like, okay, I think she has a point. And so in my case, I went out and I bought a used BMW. It was the the first year that they'd been making that bottle, body style, so it looked a lot nicer than it really was. Okay, gotcha. uh, it had 140,000 miles on it, so I didn't pay a ton for it, but it looked a lot better. And it was astonishing to me how like my close rate went up. So you like, think that treated, had something to do with it? It absolutely did. Were you clo- are you doing your like pitch meetings in the parking lot or no, like but, in the back seat of the car? That's no, what but I'm I'll trying t- to figure I'll out. I'll tell you one of the okay. one of the times when it this was so obvious to me. I pitched shortly after this. Okay. I pitched the biggest proposal I'd ever done. It was at that time, I don't know. I think it was one hundred and seventy thousand dollars. It was a big, okay. it was a big deal. Right. Um, and the the uh, CMO that I was talking to walked me out of his office down through the parking lot. I was actually parked on the street around the corner because his parking lot was full. He okay. walked me all the way to my car, and when I clicked the button. And, and my lights blinked right, on my BMW. Right. Okay. It was almost like this little, not a sigh of relief, but like like he just sort of like, well, have a – he was looking at my car, really? I'm telling you. Really? It, and it was really so the, tangible. So when you hit the button on the fob, it yeah. was like cha-ching. That yeah. was the noise that came yeah, out of exactly, your lights. Okay, exactly. Okay, very good. <laughs> and, and I kind of hate that. Like I yeah. don't think that sure. my car right. should matter. Right. But it does. So, look, if that's the rules of the game, I'm going to play the game to win. Perception is reality. Yeah. A little bit of that. You mentioned the word distraction. Yeah. So it's not that there was anything wrong with your car, your truck. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But there was something more right with the BMW. It It was just a distraction. What I was thinking about was... There was some things wrong with it. I mean, it had scratches. And, you know, it was not a great truck. Sure, (laughs) right, right. But it shouldn't have... It did not affect the performance. It obviously wasn't even... Um, affecting the way you thought about yourself Absolutely or your work. Not. Right. But you just realized it may have an impression on other people. You got it. Okay. Now you run a men's brand. Yes. And that reminds me of this quote. So I want you to talk about that a little bit. It's dress for the job that you want, yeah. not the job you have. Yeah. So let's talk about the outward appearance on the body. We went from the car. Now we're talking about. Do the clothes make the man? Do the man make the clothes? What's yeah. going on here? Yeah, the answer is probably yes. But, um, but yeah, so another story. I remember going to a networking event. I've told you before I'm an introvert. I hate networking events. I, I 
I remember a particular event. I did not want to be there. Okay. Um, I've told you how I kind of make a lap around the room, then I go get a drink, and then I, you know, make another lap. You and give I'm yourself like, oh, like three to to check marks. You have. Well, to yeah, do that's what like I have. That. That's yeah. what I do now. I okay. have to hack it to. Yeah. But, but left to my own devices, I like waste an hour just avoiding people, which is kind of <laughs> not the point of a networking event, right? So anyway, I I was at this event and I saw this guy. I'd never seen him before. He was standing over in the corner and he was dressed really well, like like a step above everybody else. Not ostentatious, but he was just really well dressed. Yeah, okay. And there were like three or four people lined up to talk to him. And I thought, huh, I wonder what he does. Like, I'm, I was kind of interested, and there were obviously other people talking to him. So I didn't have anything better to do. I didn't have any better prospects. So I went over and I sort of you know, got in line and, and stood. I got up there and I made some small talk, okay. made, introduced myself, and I made some offhanded comment about that he looked really sharp. All right. And he said, oh, thanks. I, I kind of have to dress this way because I'm an introvert. And I said, <laughs> what? Tell, tell me more. Yeah. He says, yeah, he says, I, I'm an introvert, and it's really hard for me to initiate conversation, like go up to people and introduce it to myself. And he said, but I find that when I dress like this, I just sort of stand in the corner and people line up to talk to me. <laughs> and I said, that's what I need. Got him. Right. right. That was that's where you fell right into the trap. Yeah, All right. right. Yes. But, but it's true. Mm-hmm. Like – it's amazing how I could tell you story after story. I've tested. I'm a, I'm a nerd. I'm a data nerd. I like to test everything, right? So I test this when I travel. I'll travel like this, okay, and I'll have a certain experience. So if then, you're just listening, what does like this look like? Yeah, what yeah, are you wearing okay. today? So I've got a you know who you a, wearing? It's like red carpet, of, right? Tell us who you got on. Yeah, right. All right. <laughs> so so I have you know a, a custom blue blazer and a shirt with French cuffs, and I mean it's not ostentatious. It's not crazy, but it's. It's better than what I would have to do to record a podcast, yes, certainly. right, right. Right? A few of you maybe are watching this on camera. Most of you are listening. I didn't need to dress like this. Sure. Um, but this morning, I gave a talk to a room full of 20 or 30 people, and this this sent a different message than if I'd showed up in a polo. Okay, right? yeah. Okay. When I travel, sometimes, most of the time, actually, I'll dress like this. I'll be walking down the concourse, and I'm, like, looking at a board or looking for something to eat or whatever. I I can't make it like two gates before some um, airline personnel or airport personnel will be like, uh, can I help you find something, sir? I mean, oh. it's amazing. Like hmm. like people come out of the woodwork to help me. I'll go back a week later. Yeah. Same airport, same concourse, and just intentionally trying to test it. I'll wear jeans and a t-shirt. Nobody says, can I help you, sir? Really. It's just a different experience. And see, that doesn't surprise me at all. But you you're right. Most folks, including myself, don't strategically go for that or realize it may affect the way the world sees them or they see the world that day. Because I'm in the airport half as often as you, and I'm uncomfortable, in the words of Sebastian Maniscalco, that that, um, comedian, I'm uncomfortable with how comfortable people are sometimes and what they're wearing. <laughs> yeah, right. Right? It's like people of Walmart has moved to the airport, <laughs> right. right? So I'm I'm going for comfort myself and I'm wearing sweatpants. Yeah. You know, and I'm wearing I'm wearing Crocs. Yeah. Because it's easy to take them off at TSA right. as well, you know, but now I'm rethinking what I need to be wearing on this. Yeah. I, uh, okay, you got me thinking, Tim. So, this applies not just in airports, right? I've tested I've tested this in a lot of places. Okay. I'll go into, say, an auto zone or an auto parts store, yeah. right? And I need a new headlight or a new windshield wiper blade or whatever. And I'll walk in, and if I'm dressed well, I'll say, um, excuse me, can you, can you help me find a new headlight or whatever? And they'll say, oh, absolutely. What kind of car do you have? And, okay, this is the one. This one is a little bit better than this one. Here's why. But, you're, you know, the good, better. He'll explain it to me. He'll make a recommendation. I'll go to the cash register. He'll say, uh, can I help you install that? 
He'll walk out of the parking lot hmm. and he'll put it in. Okay. Right. I go back. Same store. Now I need a different part. You know, this is a month later or whatever. And, and I'll say, I need a windshield wiper blade. Um, if I'm in jeans and a t-shirt, he'll be like, yeah, that's an aisle four. Mm. Well, you're dressed like the man who can put it in himself. Well, that's part of it. Yeah, I look <laughs> right? helpless when yes. I'm wearing a jacket, right? right? Yep. I mean, he doesn't know how to put in a headlight, I'm yep. sure. Um, but but repeatedly, over and over and over again, I've experimented with this. Yeah. And people just give you a different – that they – they think differently of you and they treat you differently. And like I said, whether or not you think it should be that way, it is. So play the game to win. Okay. So you've mentioned a couple things so far that are more masculine traditionally. Yeah. Do you have a thought about women wearing uh, – there's a lot of chatter these days in the workplace yeah. about what you should be wearing. Yeah. Right? Because we've been doing this virtual thing for a couple of years. There is um, – you're using the word ostentatious. Man, should we be very conscious that we shouldn't go too far? Right. Does it make other people uncomfortable? You know, do we not fitting in? So what do you say about that? And the reason that I ask, let me give you a for instance. Yeah. Just last night, I was giving a keynote for a company 10-year anniversary celebration. And uh, these are blue-collar type folks. But they were at their retreat, and that was very important to them, being their 10-year anniversary. But I wore kind of what you're wearing now. So I wore a coat. I wore a collar. I wore shoes. You know, that type of thing and a belt. Um, What do you think about the idea of maybe being a step above everyone else. Do you yeah. think that is okay? Yeah. Is that how you feel when you're like going to the, like, I'm just going to make sure I'm a step yeah. above everyone I, else. I try to think about what is expected of me. And then I go like a half click above that. Okay. So I don't want to, I mean, I'm not going to show up in a tuxedo, right? When sure. everybody else is in a polo. Right. But I try to think of whatever the expectation is and just go a, a half step above that. Mm-hmm. And that for me um, kind of like our shoes. You mentioned the men's brand, right? So yeah. I run Polished, www.polished.shoes. And we right. make um, shoes in Brazil the old-fashioned, high-quality way, right by hand with real leather. And But but we like to say that our shoes make a statement quietly, right? Mm. I, I think our shoes and in general, like my personality in life, I am not the loudest person in the room. I don't want to be flashy or weird or draw attention to myself. But when people look at me, I just want... I want to make a quiet statement. Like he cares about his image. He's a professional person that you know has value to bring in the way that I carry myself, in the the words that I use, in the way that I look people in the eye when I talk to him, the way that I communicate verbally or or in written form or whatever. I just want to make send a certain message that I'm a person of character and integrity and quality and professionalism, mm-hmm. not not loud or flashy, um, but I like to make a statement quietly. All right. That reminds me, this whole shoes idea, reminds me of Shawshank Redemption. Okay. Right? You remember Morgan Freeman? You're going to have to, yeah, you're going to have to coach me through this one because I haven't seen it. Oh, my goodness. Come on now. This is everyone's top 10. Okay. So Morgan Freeman's character makes that statement. I mean, really, how often do you look at a man's shoes? So I have to give you the context and those folks who haven't seen the film, both of you who haven't seen the film, (laughs) because everyone has seen this film, Tim. All right. How often do you look at a man's shoes? Now, it's interesting because there is a, uh, like you said, there's probably some sort of like... um, wavelength that if you're too nice or above you know you're going to you know be immodest yeah. the word immodest yeah. is you just be noticed yeah, like yeah. noticed yeah. to be noticed yeah but it was in the context of they were trying to escape from prison per se yeah. his character was yeah. trying to escape from prison and he needed if he 
executed his escape well, yeah. he couldn't be wearing prison shoes once he got uh, out because yeah. that would have been obvious. Yeah, sure. So he had to shine shoes and buff shoes yeah. and things like that. But yeah. I mean, so I mean, it kind of I mean, two way street, right? The illustration breaks down somewhere in there. But yeah, he had to have good shoes on. Yeah. But he couldn't be too noticed. To he had to escape prison, prison yeah. first, but then yeah. not be noticed when he went to the bank the yeah, next day. Right, is right. really what it was about. So anyway, they, it made me think that they, there have been studies on this. Like I remember reading a study years ago about Google vice presidents. All like they made a study of their shoes, mm. and now this was before polished. So okay. today they would all be wearing polished, of course. Of course, yeah, they, they're <laughs> they, no dummies over the, there. In this case, they were um, echoes. And um, for those of you that don't wear Echoes, right? Echoes are a nice European shoe brand. I, okay. think, I think they're made in Slovakia, but it's a high quality men's shoe. And they found that overwhelmingly, vice presidents at Google wore Echoes and a, of a particular, you know, level or whatever. Okay. Um, and they they talked about how people that aspired to be vice presidents at Google started wearing Echoes mm-hmm. and and. I don't remember all the details, but there have been a number of studies that I've read about how shoes actually do matter. It goes back to your quote, you know, dress for the job that you want, not the job that you have. It, I, I think I think shoes and in general your attire, your physical appearance matters. But but I want to be careful that we don't get locked in or, or um, blind spots are so much bigger than just what you wear yes, or what kind of sure. a car you drive, right. right? So those are easy things to pick on. And yes, they're, they're, right. it's two sides of a coin. Right. It may be that you are missing an opportunity. It's not that you're doing anything wrong or bad. It's not that your dress is terrible. It's just typical. Yes. And you're missing an opportunity to level up. Yeah. But it might be that you've got a bad habit that is actually Mm -hmm. limiting your success. It's like you're not achieving your full potential in one case or you're actually actively fighting against your full potential. So th- that could just be a bad habit, like you've got a lot of verbal clutter. Yeah. Or you're always disorganized, or you're always 10 minutes late to every meeting, or your car is always dirty, or you always have grammatical mistakes in your emails, or, I mean, there, there are all kinds of other blind spots beyond what you wear, what kind of car you drive, and those are equally or maybe even more important to fix. So let's not get micro-focused on dress, right? We got it. It Blind spots is really the idea. It's not micro-focused on what you drive or what you wear. Right. Here's a quote from the Old Testament, Tim. I'm testing your knowledge here. Okay. All right. So you have been through the Old Testament a little more often than Morgan Freeman movies. Okay. (laughs) Very good. Proverbs 25, 11. A word fitly spoken is like apples of gold in pictures of silver. Yeah. Now that gives me a word and visual mental picture of something that is nice. Yeah. That is refined. That is special. You mentioned verbal clutter. Yeah. So talk about how this is an age old time tested principle here. Um, you mentioned emails, and I have a story about that too. But what would you say to someone who is worried about or now conscious of the way they speak yeah. to people and the message they're giving? Yeah, the wisdom of Solomon there, a word fitly spoken, like apples of gold and pictures of yep. silver it's a beautiful it's just it's just right um i think verbal communication is super important it's one of those things that we call a soft skill that i think is essential for success in just about any field i mean maybe if you're you know building cars or something for a living or you're working in a restaurant kitchen or something maybe crisp verbal communication is not I think it'd be pretty important in a kitchen too but maybe there's some exceptions but for the most part I think verbal communication is is super super valuable 
I've mentioned to you before, like I've recommended Toastmasters. You've been in Toastmasters. I've been in Toastmasters. I joined debate um, at the place where I went to school and learned a lot about communicating complex ideas in simple, clear Mm -hmm. ways. I think verbal communication is super powerful. Um, A lot of people, including myself, have verbal clutter that's just distracting. Right. It's something I fight against all the time. I've gotten better, but I still need to. I still need to fix some more things. But now we're talking about everything. Yeah, I'm super self conscious. Yeah, like, I know. I got to be really self aware <laughs> moving forward because folks are going to grill me for this. Yeah, right? right, right. Judge lot, not lest ye be judged. Yeah, so now right. we're going to have to get up to our own standards. Yeah, that's yeah. right. Verbal clutter, but another thing that is a struggle for me and for a lot of people is sometimes it's hard to land the plane like you you're trying to express some idea to somebody Mm -hmm. and it's like you're circling the airport and you you just can't put the plane down like get to the point express yourself and and you're you're trailing off and you're using these generalities and people are looking at you like what the heck are you talking about and 10 minutes later you finally land the plane Um, so learning to express yourself cogently coherently concisely Powerfully, I think is a super valuable skill. And if that's a struggle for you, join an organization like Toastmasters, right? And practice it, it, right? And, get, and fix I, it. I kind of resonate with that idea of land the plane with your point that you're trying to make. You said ten minutes later. For me, it's always ten hours later in the shower. That's yeah, where I make it. Finally, got to my point. <laughs> I was like, that's what it should have been. But you know, I'm thinking about not just verbal communication, but written communication as well. We live in a world here where everybody is sending emails all the time. And it's funny to me, I saw a meme recently that said, you know, why are we going so hard in school and college getting these loans, getting all these things together just so we can go sit in separate offices and email each other? It doesn't matter what you got in school. We're just going to go email each other after school. And uh, I took a business class in school that was called business writing. Yeah. And one of the main things that we were doing, there was a few things written on paper. If you go back 15 years or so, you know, but most of it really was electronic communication. And learning how to be clear and concise on communicating a point over the airwaves, right? Over the email electronically, because we're not there for interpretation in terms of context, body language. None of that was there. Right. What's really crazy to me is how often I realized that class was so helpful to me after I got out of school and started sending emails all the time, or most importantly, reading other people's emails and trying <laughs> to figure out what they were trying to get, yeah. what was going on, and why I was getting forwarded 35,000 yeah. things, right? Um, so give us some takeaways from that. Yeah, like, what did so, you learn in that class? Well, well, number one was to make sure that the subject line was clear. Yeah. All right, so I had this tendency in school all the time. I even had this crazy thing I used to do with my roommates when we got bored, but I would only tend to put the word update as the subject line. That was it. Yeah, everything was update. Everything was update. update. Because we probably have spoken before, so here's the update. The update is, hey, grandma's birthday party's coming up, or the update is, here's what I've done with the project so far. But that's all I ever put was update. So I thought that it would be important enough to the other person to read and say, well, let's figure out where he is now. But I realized, number one in that class, was the subject line should point to where the body was going. So let's preview what's going to be happening here. If it was a request, if it was an update, if it was a um, um, information was going to be sent or yep. new information was going to be communicated, that that was important. Just and now we understand that because twenty years later, we're all looking all these emails going, judging the subject lines before we open them or whether or not we'll ever open them. Yeah. <laughs> 
right? So in marketing, right, we A-B test stuff. Mm-hmm. And you can send the same exact email to 50,000 people and you send 25,000 one subject line and 25,000 another subject line and the open rates can be vastly different depending on how good your subject line was, right? right? So in one-on-one personal, it's it people are busy and you've got to not only be clear, like you don't just want to be right update isn't helpful to anybody right but but you also in some cases need to think about how can you how can you be compelling right not just accurate sure. but compelling like actually get their attention and get them right. to open it right because it's on the <clears throat> other person the recipient to to receive the communication yeah they can choose whether or not to receive That's the right. communication at all in an email we all understand that yeah. another takeaway specifically was in the body be clear at if you're asking someone to do something or respond oh, yes, with the information. Please, please. So is there something that's just informational yes. or is there something that needs some sort of attention response? Yes. And I learned this from, uh, there is a man that I'm good friends with who is um, a chief, a C-level guy at Michelin. Yeah. Michelin, of course, is in our community in Greenville. And the North American headquarters guy that I'm chief, uh, chief guy that I'm yep. friends with, he would, at the end of emails, if a response was needed... If there was feedback yes. he was soliciting, just put these two words. And it's common. You mm-hmm. see it every once in a while, but I had never really seen it with the ball in my court. Mm-hmm. Please advise. Yes. That was <laughs> yeah. it. It was yes. just like, here's the information. Yeah. And it was like, I need to know your thought, your take, your new yes. information. Just please advise. Yes. And that's how he would close it. And I, I was like, man, that's helpful. Because I knew is. he was asking me for my opinion on something. I, I, I've seen a similar thing and try to practice a similar thing where – be really explicit about what exactly is this FYI only. Yeah. I'll often end an email. I'll I'll send you a paragraph and then I'll say FYI only, FYI only, uh, no response necessary. I'm just informing you because I think it's important for you to know, but I don't need a response. In other cases, I might say, please advise. In other cases, I might say, I need a decision on A or B by next Tuesday. There we go. Or like, tell me what a it deadline, is that you want. Uh, I need a response. Yes. This is what I, I expect from you. Yeah. I had a guy that worked for me. He was a wonderful person. He worked for me for about 10 years. Oh, here comes guy. He, here he, comes guy that he used to work for 10. He was a wonderful person. <laughs> but every email, he, I'd get this email and it was like a four or five paragraph email and I had no idea what to do at the end. Are, do you want a decision? Do you want recommendation? Are is this ball in my court? Is it in your court? I have no idea. If like, what am I supposed to do with this email? Um, and and I was constantly working with him. And by the end, he got a lot better. I okay. will say, very good. But yeah, tell people what you. By want. By the end, by the time Tim fired. Him, yeah, no, right? no, no, no. 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 <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, uh, appreciate this uh, look at blind spots. I think it's something that is, well, you started off. It's something that's very important, but you started off with some, one of the things that's going to be the hardest for me and most people. So give us some tips here. And the thing that touches me most is that you asked someone else, yeah. third party, <clears throat> yeah. to give you some feedback. Please advise on where I'm not hitting the mark. Or communicating the yeah. right message. I think that's a magic. You, you've got to ask because people are afraid. Like, in, there are a few people that are just natural-born critics that are always going to tell you what's and, – and you put yourself out on social media. You get a lot of those, right? Oh, yeah. Um, but for the most part, the people that know you best and care about you are not just going to tell you about your blind spots because they don't want to hurt you, right? So you have to ask. And you can't just ask somebody that sort of kind of knows you because they're not close enough to you to even know or to give you honest feedback. It's also sometimes hard to ask somebody that's really close to you. Like you ask your spouse or somebody that's a really close friend and they 
they they've got to live with you. Yeah, you know? right, right. So, <laughs> in my opinion, it's best to ask somebody that you trust, that's close to you, that's known you a long time, but you don't necessarily live with. So, yeah. a trusted colleague or a coworker or your boss, even. Um, and, and you've got to convince them that you really want to know the answer. Like I'm trying to level up and I know I must have blind spots. What would you say is one thing that maybe is limiting my success in the way that I speak or dress or drive or a bad habit that I have? Like help me grow. I really want to know. Give me some constructive criticism. And if you set it up that way, they'll usually tell you something. Take it and fix it. And then don't stop there. Rinse and repeat and, there you go. and keep fixing your blind spots. All right, ladies and gentlemen, you know what to do, and that means you have blind spots to fix, and you do not need to critique mine <laughs> on this episode or anything like that. No, we yeah. welcome your Mention feedback. Mention all his blind spots right, in right. the comments, please. Not oh, mine, Oh, goodness, here they his. come. Well, we appreciate you, Tim, letting us take a look inside internally here for blind spots on this episode of Grow With Tim.